you, you were just singing the song. <laughs> Making me look like an idiot the first two seconds. <laughs> right. You I do am. that all by yourself. I am an idiot. No, I'm turn that back up just to spite you. <laughs> well, that's just rude. God damn. Do you have a good day at work? Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Love it. It's my favorite. Can't get enough of it. No, I, uh, I'm Ugh. still not trying to be pretentious. <laughs> yeah, no, especially because we, um, these podcasts are spaced out a little bit, so you guys are hearing this, I think, after the campus tour yeah. podcast. Um, but we literally went and toured the campus yesterday, and, uh, yeah, it was not fun going back to work today. I was like, can I just drop out and be a student for a living? I, 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 it's doable. Do that? <laughs> you got to find the path. Just rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. <laughs> I'm never graduating. Uh-uh. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, fresh from work, still looking sexy, Kristen Bloom. <laughs> and we're here to bring you another edition of the unnamed thing that is definitely going to be called the Terrific Tuesday. <laughs> the Terrific Tuesday. <laughs> what happened to Tectonic? Tectonic. <laughs> terrific Tuesdays. Um, tubular Tuesdays. Tubular Tuesdays. <laughs> and we're here to talk about one that uh, Kristen found at Walmart, not on the Netflix. It was in the like, bargain bin. It was like three bucks. That we got off then fucking awesome it's scary stories to tell in the dark 2019 or at night as Kristen (laughs) was convinced the title was (laughs) scary stories to tell at night (laughs) that was a joke at the end of the last podcast Uh, I knew it was in the dark but that's called meta humor (laughs) Brett and I were having a conversation about it and I was like I think it's at night because in the dark yeah um, yeah, 2019, um, that's my bad, I burped that time. <laughs> uh, um, it's a, well, I guess we'll get to that, we'll do scores first, because I actually got scores for once. Scores. Scores. Um, IMDb gave it a 6.2, I feel like that's a little low, mm-hmm. um, but Rotten Tomatoes, and it's certified fresh, according to the yeah. package that the CD is in. <laughs> Um, Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it a 77%. The audience gave it a 72%. And I feel like that's a that's you know, closer. pretty good rating. I, where would you sit with it? Probably in the 70s, yeah. yeah. I'd call it a hefty 75. I'd watch it again if it came on, but I'm not going to like search it out. Well, I bought it, damn you. You'll watch it when I tell you to watch it. <laughs> we're we're going to watch For it. For three whole dollars, we're, we're going to get our money's worth. This is going to be one of in our annual In this economy. <laughs> in this economy. We've got Goodfellas. That's an annual. We've got um, Zombievers, which I'm trying to make an annual. <laughs> and then we're going to have scary stories to tell in the dark. At night. Yep. <laughs> um, Scorsese and then a real hardcore drop-off. <laughs> Uh, this was produced by none other than Guillermo del Toro. Hell yeah. Uh, I guess originally when uh, this film was proposed, he was slated to potentially direct it. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know why he didn't, but he didn't. It definitely feels like one of his movies, though. Like, especially when we get to the monsters. Are you okay? I, was, no. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I have high heels on, so my legs are a little longer today. So I was leaning back to give myself room because Jax is under me. To lift my one leg up so I could tuck my other leg in without kicking the dog in the face. Yeah. And I straight up almost fell. <laughs> if you would have fallen backwards, I would have cried laughing into this microphone. I would not have checked on you. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Guillermo did not direct this. I'm going to have uh, Brett pronounce the director's name because I'm going to ruin it. And uh, I'm going to let Brett ruin it. Uh, I'm going to go with Andre Avradai. Avridal? Sounds good. Avridal. It's an O with a line through it. I've never had to face that before. Sounds good. <laughs> um, there are quite a few people in this, so I didn't look up. Uh, I started to, but then I was like, mm. I didn't look up what anybody did. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> fun story for you. Uh, the screenplay was by Dan Hagman and Kevin Hagman, mm-hmm. assuming siblings. Uh, story was by Guillermo del Toro, Patrick Melton, and Marcus Dunstan. Mm-hmm. But this is based on a book series called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Not at Night. By mm-hmm. Alvin Swartz. Yes, it is. Um, these came out... Kristen was not aware of until after we'd watched the film. <laughs> oh, no, I knew it was based on something. I just, like, I initially, because I didn't read the series, I couldn't remember yeah. if it was a TV series. And the way that I remembered it was completely wrong when I was explaining it to you. What I was thinking of was um, 
Are you, you afraid of yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? Was definitely the show I was referencing. And then halfway through, like I think when they got to the toe, I was like, "Oh, this is the the <laughs> books." Yeah. So, so you also thought it was a TV series yeah. in your face. Um, when did the books come out? Uh, 1981 to 1991, if I remember correctly. I think there are three of them. Oddly, or not oddly, it's pretty obvious if you start reading them. Um, but it is the like I think it is the most. Um, like people try to get books banned, the most contested is the word I'm looking for, book of the 1990s. Well, apparently, um, and I did see some of the sketches while we were kind of looking this up, um, the problem is in particular the sketches in mm-hmm. the book, like the original artist drew these really kind of creepy sketches. Yeah, they're and they awesome. have re-released the book because I was looking at it on Amazon because I was thinking about ordering mm-hmm. it because it's a children's series. <laughs> it's for, I think they say, grades three and up. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the problem. Like when you go to order it, it's kind of like hit and miss whether or not you get the original artwork Mm -hmm. and they've like redone the artwork to look a bit more, um, it looked a little Tim Burton-esque, like the corpse bride, like it looked really Mm -hmm. cartoony. Like it's creepy, but it's not as nowhere near what it originally was. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the... The big issue, if you try to buy these books hmm. now, is getting the original artwork because they re-released them because people said the artwork in particular was what made the stories yeah. so creepy. No, I, I, I love it. I haven't read the books, obviously, since I was a kid, but we're hardcore thinking about um, buying them. Why'd you point at me? Well, I was going to say, because you said you haven't read it since <laughs> you You threw me kid. off. I was like... <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> no, because you said you haven't read them since you were a kid. I thought mm-hmm. that was actually funny. That was one of the reviews that um, I saw on Amazon from someone who did get the book with the original artwork. They said they were reading the stories and they were disappointed by the stories as an adult. And they were like, I yeah. guess that's to be expected, though, because it's a children's book. But they were like, the artwork's still creepy. <laughs> the artwork's still incredible. <laughs> well, most of the stories are retellings of, like, urban legends. So, like, you've got the story. Like the Wendigo. I think that's, like, an actual... Yeah. Um, Cryptid, or yeah, whatever cryptoid, they're called. cryptid, whatever it is, whatever they're called. Yeah, and then they've got like the story of the woman who's buried alive with the really valuable jewelry and is saved by the grave digger, who's like coming to rob her grave, but when he opens up the thing, she's still alive in there. Yeah, that's creepy. So it's a lot of like retellings of urban legends, but for me as a kid, it was like a great introduction into the horror genre, which has in no way affected my life or career <laughs> choices. Um, not in the least. Not in the slightest. Um, but this had, like, it's not the greatest film of all time, but it's fun little member berries, you know? <laughs> like, when it comes on the screen, like, it, it's intense. If I was going to sit there with a third grader and watch it, it would oh, probably yeah. wreck their fucking life. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool seeing it brought to life in this form, where it wasn't just one story or even one book from the series, but, yeah. like, this hand-picked selection that is built around these characters. Yeah, I haven't read the stories. I would definitely say the movie is a bit more teenager and up, mm-hmm. <laughs> though. Maybe not like literal 16 teenager, like 12, 13. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, probably not good for probably third Probably not graders. good for a third grade. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the cinematography was done by Roman Osen, I think mm-hmm. is how you pronounce it. Uh, it was produced by CBS Films, which they felt the need to tell us multiple times. Yeah. And it was like three fucking production <laughs> screenings like, like yeah. kept coming up. I was like, oh, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> and distributed by Lionsgate, which again, mm. they felt the need to tell us multiple times. <laughs> um, the budget was 25 to $28 million, which... God damn. Kind of high. Um, box office was $106 million, though, apparently... So- this was pretty highly anticipated by people who had read the books growing yeah. up. Yeah, it's kind of like those um, series of unfortunate events. Like, if you make the movie, people are going to that. <laughs> You're going to make your money back, even if they pan it in the reviews. And I will say, speaking of series of unfortunate events, the Jim Carrey movies were a little quirky. They weren't, like, mm-hmm. quite on par because they tried to cram multiple books into one movie. Yeah. So I feel like they kind of skipped over a bunch. But the TV series that Neil Patrick Harris is in is pretty fucking good. We need to watch it then because I haven't seen it yet. Um, And apparently they are making a sequel to this. I think they announced it in 2020. So I'm not sure where they're at Mm -hmm. with that. But they are planning a sequel. Characters? That's what's up. Um, Our first is Zoe Coletti plays Stella Nichols. That's our main character. She's our uh, nerdy kind of lonely girl. She's Mm -hmm. the one who finds and steals Sarah's book, which is a no-no. She's the writer. You never steal. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's Michael Garza, plays Ramon Morales. He's our uh, 
kid that's kind of drifting in town. He's our draft dodger who gets lots of racist comments. <laughs> who we were both sitting there going, that is an Indian child. And then we saw the last name Garza and it was like, okay, maybe he's actually Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Gabriel Rush is August Augie Hildebrandt. And he's the, uh, I did these My two. My only note is toe. <laughs> I, did these, I did these two by how they died, because I honestly didn't feel like the names of the child actors was as prevalent yeah. as one would hope. I think the only time they really aggressively mention their names is when they're about to die. And then it's like, Augie! Yeah. So Augie's the one who was dressed as the Perot, not the clown, <laughs> and ate the toe. Perot that ate the toe. Uh, Austin, Wow. Austin Zazier as uh, Charlie Chuck Steinberg. He's the kid uh, that has the dream that he's in the red room. Mm-hmm. And he's the kid that gets trapped in the cabinet and sees the old lady with the dog. Yeah. Um, so he, he gets died by, by hugs. <laughs> Dead by hugs. Got absorbed into the being. Uh, Natalie Ganshorn as Ruth Ruthie Steinberg. Jeez. These are some dumb nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> I... I think it's dumb that all three of them have an abbreviation to theirs, yeah. which I guess Ruthie is an extension, but whatever. <laughs> um, she's Chuck's sister. She's the one that gets bit by the spider. And uh, interestingly, apparently Ruth's character is the only one of all of these characters from the original stories who actually kept her original name. So the character in the story with the spider bite, mm-hmm. her name is Ruth. Everyone nice. else... Um, the names got adjusted except for the next character who is close-ish. The original character's name was Thomas. But this guy's name is Austin Abrams and he plays Tommy Milner. He's the mean kid who really doesn't like his scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> Howard. All right, am I doing more of these? Yeah. Uh, we're um, going yeah, to do quite a few. The only ones we're not doing are the ones I X'd out. I didn't realize we were, I didn't know it was broken down into sections here. Mill Valley townspeople, Dean Norris as Roy Nichols. That's still his dad. They have that really heartbreaking scene where he tells her it's not her fault. Mama ran off. Yeah. Gil Bellows as police chief Turner. The real racist cop (laughs) who has a problem with Mexican kids in his town. Uh, Lorraine Toussaint as Luis Lulu Baptiste. An honorable mention beneath her. Uh, Johnny Stevenson as young Luis Baptiste. Um, so this is <laughs> this is the little African American girl, mm-hmm. and also the older lady that has the music box that gave Sarah the book. Yeah, craziest looking character, and I love it when they do like the blind contact lenses. It just makes everything, or the cataract contact lenses, mm-hmm. makes everything look way more ominous. Yeah, and super sad that they definitely had that slave child. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, we've got, we got more. We're gonna, do, we're gonna do the ones at the bottom too, just because they're fun. Oh, uh, Javier Bote plays Big Toe Corpse. Uh, yeah, that's the, um... The big toe corpse? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the corpse with the missing toe. (laughs) Troy James is Jangly Man. Fun fact that we will mention later about Troy. Uh, he's a contortionist. No shit. Andrew, the Andrew Jackson. (laughs) He was the voice of the Jangly Man. The American Lion himself. (laughs) The Jangly Man's the dude that, like, distorts and Mm -hmm. all that. Tip spear. Oh, I didn't know I had one more. Mark Steger as Harold the Scarecrow and the Pale Lady. Which, that's crazy to me. Like, the same actor who played the Scarecrow plays the Super Oh, wait, no, the pill lady's the fat lady. Oh, never mind. Big tail lady's the really skinny one. <laughs> I was like, that's wild. He's, like, non-existent in both roles. The pill lady's the big, fat, bloated lady. Yeah. But to me, this is my point I of I thought contention. she was CGI. I didn't realize that there was yeah. an actual actor in there. Yeah, there's a person in that suit. That's right. We saw that in the special effects segment. Yeah. We did. But to me, I do not think... The chick in the red room in the end when he dies looks like the chick that was sitting on the bed. No. Those were not the same people. I don't think so. Anyway, last and one. Kathleen Pollard as Sarah Bellows. And that's our big bad ghosty writer. Sarah. She's the dead girl in the basement. I've got gotcha. you. The albino. <laughs> I thought we already went over her. I was confused. No, because apparently you're not allowed to be albino. <clears throat> Alrighty. Synopsis? Um, so... I'm, I'm going to need the character names. Jesus Christ, that was a lot of people. I would flip back to the um, front page because the kids are really the most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, Zoe um, and her friends get locked into like a, a haunted house by uh, Tommy the bully. And um, 
while they're in there, Zoe takes a book from Sarah that she's not supposed to take. And uh, Sarah makes their fates out she of asks the Sarah to read her a story, and apparently that's what uh, supposedly happened in the past. Yeah. Sarah, like kids would come to see her, and she'd ask, or they'd ask her to write or read them a story, and it's the last story you ever hear. And, uh, yeah, and they always Stella, told them at night. Stella makes the mistake <laughs> of asking Sarah to tell her a story, and then she proceeds to tell her a bunch of stories. Mm-hmm. Like, bitch, I said a story. Yep, and bitches die at the end of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's, I guess, a few things I kind of want to dive into. Um, I didn't read the book, so I don't know how mm-hmm. much memory you have of the books. But... Not much, but I remembered the big toe the second that it came up. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> We're getting real. Which apparently... Um, the stories that they picked that they put in this movie, I guess, are some of the more popular ones, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I guess that's subjective. But um, they asked the cast and crew members that were familiar with the book what their favorite stories were. Mm-hmm. And initially, I think, wanted to do ten and then realized they couldn't do ten if they wanted to do, just do a single movie. So they had to, like, uh, narrow it down to mm-hmm. their favorite ones. But I, I would be curious to know if anyone's out there and listening and would like to write in. What your favorite stories were from the book. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Where can they send that information? Nightmareboxproductions at gmail.com. Goddamn right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate the fact that um, this book does kind of pay tribute to the original work. There mm-hmm. are supposedly, I haven't read the books, um, several references. The actual books in Sarah's book are all stories from the books. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like when she's flipping through it, you can see like almost the entire collection mm-hmm. of stories. And then mm-hmm. I didn't write it down, but there are apparently other references, like the story that Sarah is working on that's in her typewriter as a reference to some other author's work. And there's like hmm. a lot of like little bits where they kind of pay tribute to other people. And I think it was a, also a horror writer, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like too that the monsters. In the movie, because we saw some of the artwork actually look quite a bit like the original Fuck art. <laughs> um, Did a really good job on that one. I think the Pell Lady in particular was like one of the closest ones. Mm-hmm. And apparently some of the monsters in the movie are kind of um, a conglomeration of multiple monsters mm-hmm. in the story. But I think that's pretty cool that they paid so much tribute to the original work. Yeah. Oh, especially for something that is just, you know, I'm, I'm reminiscing on my childhood, you know? So, like, they don't need to nail it, but if they add certain aspects, you're like, I remember that fucking drawing. It's the reason I couldn't get out, you know, I didn't trust the underside of my bed. Harold, the fucking scarecrow. Did you the know? Toe Story, like, <coughs> freak you out at Toe all? Story, kind of, fu- I mean, I I had a really weird, like, upbringing as far as that stuff goes. Like, my mom is uh, hardcore into true crime, so I got into that way younger than I should have. And my dad was, you know, a combat flight engineer, so he was a bit much. You're like, this is PG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I have memories of when Saving Private Ryan came out. I was born in 1991. I believe Saving Private Ryan might have come out in, what, 96? But sure. <laughs> when it came out, my parents got it on uh, from the Blockbuster on VHS, and we sat down as a family and watched Saving Private Ryan. And nobody kicked me out of the room for the D-Day scene at the very beginning of Saving Private Ryan. So, like, my head, (laughs) as far as fucked up shit goes, I was probably uncomfortable if we were eating chili that week. (laughs) I think that's the funny thing about um, that era of parenting. I feel like a lot of people can probably... The latchkey kids. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Like, I remember watching scary movies and stuff when I was younger, maybe not quite, like, as young as Mm -hmm. you did, but, like... My mom would always tell us to close our eyes and cover our ears at the nudity scenes or yeah. the sex scenes, but everything else was totally fine. Yeah, my mom did not want me viewing sex, was completely cool with me seeing some dude's lower intestine yeah. just getting dragged on the sand at Normandy. Anytime <laughs> there was a sex scene, my mom would be like, cover your eyes, and then mm-hmm. as soon as moaning started, cover your ears. Yep. <laughs> no, I remember um, it being in a hotel when Titanic came out. And the big breast. That's a pretty PG sex scene. You know, the, the, the drawing. The, yeah, the drawing scene. My mom like slapped me on the face to cover my eyes so I wouldn't see a pair of tits. But then moments later, the ship is fucking sinking. That dude goes flying off the end and dings himself off the propeller. <laughs> no problem. I was good. <laughs> Keep watching that shit, son. This is funny. How dare you like titty. <laughs> um, 
Speaking of kind of uh, more realistic trauma, though, mm -hmm. um, that was one thing that I had read about, like the negative reviews about this, which I think is interesting and kind of an interesting thought because there is so much mention to like real life events. So we have the Vietnam War going on. Yeah, we've got Nixon Humphrey. Yeah, Nixon. Um, the draft is going on mm -hmm. and like all of these things are really really present in the movie even though they don't necessarily affect the children and really high concept for like a pg-13 mm -hmm. film because that's what we're talking about we can't judge it on the they had everything for an r you know let's go balls to the wall on this we're talking about a film for early you know teens mm -hmm. you know and so to bring vietnam and the draft dodging and you know fucking tricky dick <laughs> um but that was one of the kind of more negative reviews that i saw someone said they were which, I mean, it's based on an existing work, so you can't stray too far. But they said one of the things they were disappointed by the monsters in this was that the monsters were, I guess, a bit more stereotypical monsters instead mm -hmm. of playing on the fears of the times for what the children are going through. So, like, we have... Um, like it's about their personal fears as opposed to like the national fear? Well, I guess like, yeah, the real world fears of the time. Like, you know, we have movies that kind of pay tribute to mm -hmm. like, you know, the traumas of going to war and stuff like that. And so the review is like saying basically that they wish the monsters in this movie had been a bit more relevant to the real world fears of the time. That's so, interesting. Yeah, because the only relevancy is the one that chases around the draft dodger calling yeah, him a coward. Like, that's, that's as close as we get to them actually interacting with the real world. Yeah, but again, the monster itself isn't really related to... Which, mm -hmm. that, that, might, that might have come across a bit racist. But, like, I don't know, maybe if, like, the monster had been a bit more, like... Vietnamese looking like yeah. it's like a soldier from Vietnam or like, if he'd just come back like if they just made him a little bit older but still like in connection somehow mm -hmm. with these characters like if he was one of their older brothers as opposed to the love interest mm -hmm. then you could have had him as an 18 year old sent back from Nam and you could have made you know like that is his Hmm. PTSD, knowing what we know now and what the Vietnam soldiers came home to mm -hmm. and being able to really blow that up. You could have, instead of a draft dodger, just give him PTSD. He was too young to fucking be there. You know, he comes home, people are being racist towards him because he's a different shade than they are, and they don't understand. Yeah, you really could have played the yeah. 1960s like, heavy into the monsters. I like that concept. Especially with the other kids, which again, like it's a, it's a reference to an existing work, so you can only change so much if you're trying to actually reference mm -hmm. the original work. But like, with the other kids, like... Um, Stella, like, her fear, I guess, is kind of that she's, like, the outcast loser yeah. that has no friends. And so, like, she kind of takes Sarah's place as being the outcast loser in the basement, but it's not really, like, developed. Kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's not really, like, developed. And then the other two kids' deaths don't really seem to have much of anything to do with anything. It's yeah. like, oh, like, he's got a food phobia, I guess. And yeah, then... and she is so afraid of this pimple that it, you know, is a fucking massive... Yeah, and spiders are... I mean, the spiders coming out of the face are creepy as fuck, yeah. but I knew are... that shit was coming, too. I remembered that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, the, the spiders are in her face. <laughs> but that spiders are kind of a cliche fear for a girl, yeah. so it's like, like, it would have been neat because they do keep showing shots of Nixon on the screen and then they mm -hmm. very specifically call him Tricky Dick and then like the draft gets mentioned the opening scene where we first meet Tommy is him yeah. signing up to join the war and then whenever he goes missing one of the kids is like yeah he couldn't wait to go kill commies fuck him you know basically <laughs> and like I don't know like it would have been I agree it would have been kind of cool to have seen the monsters being a bit more visceral yeah. to and you wouldn't have had to change much, I don't think, from the original. I mean, I don't know if you could have done it PG-13. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if the audience would really be able to keep up with... Wetback seems like a pretty wetback aggressive was, slur Wetback was pretty hard. <laughs> the, for, the first time, and it, it's dropped multiple times, it was like hearing nigger. It was like, what? You can't say yeah. that in a PG-13 movie? <laughs> yeah, and like the cop is like pretty openly racist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was wild. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I, and like they had the kid character say it, and I was like, what? <laughs> what is that? What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> if you had 
been, um, I don't know, like, how do you feel about that if you had been, because I know you're a bit more, um, like, trauma-based in your writing. Like, uh, if you... Just met my personality. Yes. <laughs> your, your personality is very traumatized. <laughs> no. It's basically just the effects of trauma. That's, that's my husband. Hypothetically. <laughs> um, which I know you... You're a writer in general, so mm-hmm. I guess that's a weird question to take somebody else's work. But if you were going to take somebody else's work and then adapt it into a screenplay, do you think you would have taken a more realistic approach or just stuck I to I think the... if I was working for Del Toro, I would. <laughs> I feel like that guy has gone places. I think I would have hit him with the craziest fucking script. If we're going back to the 60s, we're going back to the 60s for a reason mm-hmm. outside of we need to think that the people are being... We need to think that he's a migrant worker as opposed to a soldier. You know, like we're, it's really the only reason we're back in the 60s. If you look at it, step back from a hole, is the reveal that he's a draft dodger. The 60s, outside of what they're doing on the TV set, I'm sorry, the dog has found his bone in his toy box. Um, outside of what's going on at the TV set, don't come forward enough so if we're going back we're going back with purpose would Mm -hmm. be my my writer's room you know quotable if you want to put it up on your desk (laughs) if you're setting it in a time it set it in that time for a reason if you're going to set it in 2050 it's because you're trying to show me some shit i can't see in 2020 if you're showing it to me in 1970 there's a reason it has to be 1970 how much i know you know, artists don't, like, want to repeat their work, obviously. And I haven't seen it in quite a while. I saw it in high school, I think, or right after I graduated high school. So I don't really remember it very clearly. But, like, I remember Pan's Labyrinth, like, having mm-hmm. these really... Which is another, if you're not familiar with Pan's Labyrinth, Del Toro work. That's the um, one with the eyeball guy, right? Yeah, the Minotaur. Yeah. Um, and, like, I remember it having these really fantastical elements. But I also... And I could be remembering it wrong. Sorry, that was my bad. Um, I remember it like being related to the Nazis or something like that. And mm-hmm. that theme is very heavily prevalent in the movie. So there's also this real world like element on top of... On top of the horror. Yeah. And yeah. like, I don't know. Like that movie freaked me out a bit actually. And I wasn't like a little kid when I saw it. I think mm-hmm. I was like 18. Um, and it's... Um, is it in Spanish? What language is it in? It's not in English. I know that you have to read the I've whole seen thing. It once. I can't yeah. <laughs> not even I'm not touching it. <laughs> and I know um, the whole thing is subtitled, so you mm-hmm. have to read the whole thing. So like I remember that making it a little bit harder to kind of keep up with it because I literally only saw it the one time. But yeah, I remember thinking that about mm-hmm. it. Like it, you you had these really fantastical creatures like the Minotaur. But then, like, there was, like, this human character, and I think he might have been a Nazi, and there was, like, this real tension from, like, the more human aspect of yeah. the story, too. Kind of so. like when a Disney movie puts in, like, adult jokes or some shit. Like, the teenage eyes might only see these fantastical creatures, but the adult sitting next to the teenager is going to gleam the overall metaphor. Yeah, pretty dark. Or, yeah, I don't know that I would say that that's a teenage movie. Doesn't We established head... at the beginning. <laughs> I was introduced to some hardcore shit really young. <laughs> doesn't somebody's head get smashed or something in that movie? I feel Poss- like all I re- literally, head. all I remember from the movie is the, the big dude with the fingers putting his eyeballs in. I feel like he crushes someone's head, but I couldn't just <laughs> making shit up i remember it being yeah. a pretty dark movie no I, th- I think that's an interesting point i don't think we've had that discussion before like setting it in a time and using that time to make the most especially in a horror film because we're kind of like <laughs> Jax, you gotta take that somewhere else here go shoot it over there <laughs> go it's the first time i picked up my bone in months <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But yeah, setting it in a time, like there's, and it's not a great movie and it's not even a great example of what I'm trying to talk about, really. Um, But they did a Silence of the Lamb um, origin story for, (laughs) origin story for Hannibal Lecter. I think it's, Hannibal Rises might be the name of it. Um, But the backstory they give him is not that he's a psychologist in London or anything like that. He is in, I believe, war-torn Poland. And his family is, or not his family, his family's killed except for his little sister. And then she is eaten by Nazis um, after they get frozen in, in the countryside. They eat her? Yeah, they get snowed in. Um, these Nazis who've like gotten away from getting the ship blown out of their battalion or whatever, and they use that house, and the threat is that they're going to rape his sister 
but she winds up dying of something and they wind up eating her in front of him. And so that sets your cannibalism for future Hannibal Ugh. Lecter in a childhood trauma from the Nazis. Ugh. And then gross. he spends the entire movie hunting down the men that ate his sister. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really sick scene where he ties this rope all the way around a tree in this mm. guy's neck and then just like pats his horse on the ass and walks until the guy's eyeballs explode out of his head. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, have, I have seen that scene. You've made me watch that. But the, ooh, that's gross. <laughs> um, but you're connecting the Nazis with the overall action. So that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's a PG-13 movie. I feel like maybe the real world tension could have been ramped up a bit mm -hmm. more, though. It's one of the craziest times in American history. Maybe it was just too much to touch. They didn't want to politicize it too badly. I'm like, I feel like there's kind of an absence, too, which is strange, because I feel like um, children, obviously, probably aren't quite as aware of, like, how scary times are when they're a kid. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you're a kid, you kind of have the luxury of being naive. Um, there's kind of an absence of adults in this movie. Like, uh, mm -hmm. Stella's dad's the only one we really see, and their only real interaction is based on their own trauma, so... So that we can introduce the issue of the mother having left. Yeah, yeah. and like, I don't know, like, I feel like we could have amped up that real-world tension a little bit more with some of the adult characters being in, like freaking Augie's parents have left him alone and they're out of town and so we don't even get the like oh my god my son's missing yeah. from the parents or anything nothing like it, yeah it gets stripped down to exactly what's happening and we get the video game effect again. and even at the at the end whenever they pick uh ruth up from the hospital she's in the car with stella and her dad like where mm -hmm. are ruth's parents <laughs> <laughs> So there's this weird kind of, yeah, it is a bit video game-ish in that mm -hmm. aspect. Like, oh, we need all three char characters in the car together so we can state that we're going to, you know, die trying to find our friends. Mm -hmm. um, cl cliche stuff like that aside, though, they did a fucking awesome job on practical effects. Like, yeah, it's it. to the point where I thought it was CGI at a certain point. Like, we were, I had to watch the special features, which we do when we get any DVD, and... Um, I was like, oh, fuck, I thought they did that with a computer. It looks so goddamn good. I thought there's no way that's a person in a suit. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I... The contortionist. Tell me about the contortionist. Yeah. okay, so um, the jangly man is the dude whose head pops off, and obviously some of that's CGI, clearly, and they use CGI. I mean, he didn't actually pop his own head off. <laughs> they use CGI to kind of enhance <laughs> his movements a bit, but that is an actual person... In a suit, and if you watch the behind-the-scenes features, you can kind of see him crawling across the floor, mm -hmm. uh, named Troy James, and he's a contortionist. So God he's damn. actually doing the bending and the moving and the flipping and stuff, and then they just use CGI to kind of enhance his performance. Yeah. So fucking wild. Yeah, I think they might have done the same thing in The Exorcist, but I don't quote me on that. Like, if you're out there writing Someone a paper. Someone could turn their head all the way around? No, not that scene. The oh. scene where she comes down the stairs mm. like a crab on her back. <laughs> so they should get that checked out if they can turn yeah. their head all the way around. I think they used a contortionist for that and then um, like sped the footage up so it looked even creepier. But when you can have an actual contortionist there in a suit as opposed to a CGI bending in these weird ways, it's just it, it's blowing up spots in your brain where it's like it's not supposed to do that. Mm. That's why it's so unsettling. You know? I was actually... Because, I mean, this came out in 2019. I fully expected all of the monsters to be 100% special effects. Me except too. for, like, Sarah, because that was just a chick with makeup on. Mm -hmm. um, and kinda, I kind of had the opposite level of surprise, because it was like, that's clearly CGI. Like, mm -hmm. obviously. And then we watched the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I was like, that's a real person <laughs> in a real suit. And it literally looks exactly like it did on screen. Like Del Toro just <laughs> saved us $50 million. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Because like, I minored in theater, so I did a little bit of like makeup special effects. I am incredibly impressed mm -hmm. with whoever made those suits. Because it was like head-to-toe suits. It wasn't like they had a mask on. Yeah. And it was then, like old-school like 1920s shit. Yeah. <laughs> like the pale lady, which I guess was apparently played by a dude, um, Mark Steger. Um Yeah, was like actually a person in like this big old jumbo suit <laughs> with like the head and everything. And like... You could see, I think it was, if I remember right, Del Toro standing next to him. He's like, yeah, just kind of move your head like this way, kind of like over there. And I think the creepiest one was probably, um, for me, uh, 
the chick with the missing toe because how fucking skinny was that character? No shit. And that was a person in makeup. Yeah, it looked like the machinist. <laughs> yeah. And the scarecrow. I want to know how... The scarecrow was sick. I fucking did. loved that. It's clearly CGI, the missing middle part, but I didn't really pay attention. When Might we just watching. be like simple green screening. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But I wasn't paying attention when we were watching the behind the scenes and they showed the dude in the scarecrow suit, like what the middle part looked like. Mm-hmm. So I need to go back and revisit that. We got to make some props and shit. Yeah, I fucking love Harold the Scarecrow. No, and I'm I'm always a huge fan of. We've talked about before that I'm a massive fan of practical effects. If you can do it just by giving me like the old school illusion, my mind is going to accept it. Like you could do really good CGI, and my brain's still going. There's no way Godzilla's fighting King Kong right now. <laughs> <laughs> You can do the craziest shit in the world for the Avengers and all of that. And none of it is going to stick out as much as any sort of practical effect. Like, I'm trying to come up with a good example yet again, and I can't do it. But, like, Carrie, you know, when she's, like, fire-starting the whole goddamn room in the prom massacre. Like, a Mm. lot of... All of that is practical, you know? Here's our flame gun. Here's our blood gun. Here's our bucket of blood. You know? <laughs> and I think, too, I mean, obviously there are actors that are, you know, have been doing it long enough and are skilled enough to look past that. But I think it's got to lend to the performance to be like, oh, you're supposed to be afraid. Look at this green ball. Or, yeah. oh, you're supposed to be afraid. That's the monster. That's the fucking monster. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, these kids weren't... Um, it's like even Jaws with their like mechanical fucking shark mm-hmm. that constantly fucking died gives you a shark to look at when you're supposed to be climbing up the boat to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I'm being a bit harsh, I think, but like Brett and I have started watching Stranger Things Fuck together yeah. recently. And go 11, go. <laughs> the, Is she done? I'm not telling you. Uh, Will she come back and she's alive? We've only seen episode one. No, we've... Or season season one. one. Not a fucking newbie. (laughs) I've seen season two. Brad has only seen season one. But anyway, um, the actors in Stranger Things, I feel like, are so fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Those kids just crushed it. They have such fantastic chemistry together. And, like, the kids in this movie, I think, are a little bit older, so... I feel like younger kids kind of have a bit of an easier time, like, mm-hmm. disappearing into their imagination. So, like, the kids in this movie, just because I'm being a bit harsh because we've been watching Stranger Things, I don't think their performances wholly blew me away. Yeah. But they did pretty damn good. Like, yeah. they definitely did not do a bad job. And, like I said, I feel like They give having... a lot of leniency to kids. All you have to do as a child is make me feel like you're not reading the lines. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, they definitely did that. Yeah. But there were, like, some scenes where I was like, I feel like I'd be a little more afraid if I was that age. Mm-hmm. But the one kid's old enough to be drafted, so they're not, like, tiny kids. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like, I, I feel like having that practical effect, at the very least, if you're, like, a little bit older and, like, the imagination maybe isn't quite as, like, erratic as a young child is, like, has to help with, like, younger actors that are yeah. still kind of developing their skill set. Like, go play make-believe. You don't have a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna be distracted while you're in the room. You can make-believe. You know, it's like used to play wolf lava with my friend, and it was basically that if we fell into the lava, then you turned into a wolf, and you try to snatch them off the nightstand and give them a fucking black eye. That's weird. Yeah. Wolves don't live in lava. But it was a way to turn Flora's lava into a game that we could play until our parents never came. <laughs> <laughs> wolves don't live in lava. These wolves did. And <laughs> if you would have found me at six and said, hey, we're fucking, you're a wolf if you fall into the lava, I would have blended right into that part. It's like it's what I do every Saturday. <laughs> Down there on the ground. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, too, it was kind of interesting because there's... Um, uh, whenever Chuck, like, finally stumbles across the quote-unquote Red Room mm-hmm. at his untimely demise, um, it's like this hospital setting where all the lights turn red and, like, they're kind of red. alarming. And, like, you initially mm. said, well, that's cheesy. That's a cheesy effect. And then we watch the behind-the-scenes, and it looks like they actually did that. It's mm-hmm. like you can see it while they're recording. The lights all flip over. Um, I thought that was interesting, too, like, the dedication to... Yeah. Like, where you could have easily used a filter, they actually used the lights. Or, I, I guess, even maybe could have CGI'd it in later or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting choice, because, I don't know, like, I have some bi- 
yeah, bicolor lights that I have filters I can put on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we've tried to do some stuff here. And if I throw a red filter on the lights, I'm like, ooh, this is a bit red. Yeah. <laughs> so... It only worked for our unreleased Christmas film. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like that level of commitment like it mm -hmm. wasn't um half-assed really i feel like in any department why are you staring at me like that <laughs> no i'm agreeing with you i'm sorry i've got sciatica and my fucking oh. my calf is starting to hurt no, so i'm like, good no I'm, I'm hanging in there i'm doing all right i believe um i only have one other thing i really want to talk about and it's just uh horror as a genre fuck um, yeah this is the note like, that i've been excited about like, this, this is my time show to shine. because it as i set up top like the uh the books more they weren't the only ones back in the 90s if you loved horror as a kid you were in good company you had scary stories to tell in the dark you had tales goosebumps you had yeah goosebumps tales from the crypt um are you afraid of the dark like you had all of the welcome to the genre things and i'm, I'm trying to override your notes oh, here cool. um how dare you? Yeah, no. Follow the like, notes. You had like all these books and TV shows. And what I like about this is I could see myself at like 12 going, I want to go to the movie theater to see my first like scary movie with my friends mm -hmm. and actually being a little freaked out. Because <laughs> I can't remember what my first horror movie was with my friends. My first one with my mom was Saw. So if you're, if you're curious, the first one I saw in theater with my mother was Saw 2. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, it is, it is kind of like a fun, nostalgic, kind of scary, but like not scary enough that you could go see it with your friends type mm -hmm. of movie. And I like that. And yeah, um, I feel like the 90s in general were a fantastic time for like those type of shows for like, I anything watched. alt i mean it was plaid shirts and fucking nirvana <laughs> and hip-hop was figuring itself out <laughs> <laughs> i did really love goosebumps growing up mm -hmm. i had several of the books um i wonder though which granted this is based on a work that's a little bit older um do we have cliches that we fall into that are like literal guidelines for how the story goes i know we have like the cliches of like you know the bimbo chick like the couple that's having mm -hmm. sex the nerd character or whatever like we have these like stereotypical elements that pop yeah. up but like i wasn't weirdly disappointed by the arc of the story i think especially having seen um the ring first because it was like this mm -hmm. is basically the same setup except in the ring, we didn't know the ghost was bad up front. It's like, introduce ghost character, bad shit happens, people are dying, we gotta go do the research at the hospital, yeah. and like, I, I, I don't know, like, I feel like there are probably quite a few movies in existence that kind of follow that storyline, and like, it's a, I don't know, is it overplayed? Uh, what, the, we need sympathy for the bad guy? Well, no, like, this literal formula of bad ghost spirit, we're trying to stop bad things we have to go research the mm. thing and then tackle bad ghost spirit yeah no I, I i i try to move away from tropes and i've been guilty as fuck of tropes like <laughs> i i love a, a well-placed trope i'm very trope heavy i think we have an episode called utropia <laughs> <laughs> i like a well-placed trope i love a, a nice um little nod antique pocket watch or the dolls you know <laughs> like i like something that is nodding toward the genre um but you can't go too trope heavy in fucking anything it's the reason why men don't watch romantic comedies <laughs> it's like oh let me guess he's gonna meet her and he's kind of cute. a dipshit and it's a cute meeting but she really doesn't like him where she's involved with some other guy and then he's got to be cute or overcome some part of himself and the woman doesn't have to develop at all <laughs> and then true. boom everybody's happy welcome to lifetime you know <laughs> um my the issue with the horror genre at the moment and for I don't know, fucking 20 years at this point, is there is a formula to a great horror movie. And I think we're at the tail end of that. I think with Hereditary and films of that nature, um, I've You've not seen it, but I've been thinking of ending things. I haven't, yeah, haven't seen it yet, but um, Get Out 
shit like that where it's like I, I think we're breaking the formula and that's mm-hmm. why so many films in the past like five to ten years have stood the test of time like that might be a new classic you know when you you watch hereditary for the first time and you're like holy shit you're gonna kill the cute little girl without giving her a redemption arc that's a break in the trope I, I haven't seen Get Out, so I would talk about it. <laughs> I've also heard uh, Parasite was really good. I think pa- that one's well, a That's the one film. that won the best film yeah. of the entire fucking world I've right before really the good. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting to me. Cause... Two things came out of Asia in like early 2020. There was... Stop it. <laughs> it was the coronavirus and a movie called Pandemic or Parasite. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and, I mean, I know with uh most art in general whether it's music mm-hmm. or writing or films or whatever it's really hard to be a hundred percent original because there's so much content out there somebody yeah. has to some degree done it already if you've fallen into a genre it's because you've used a trope yeah and like i i don't know i i think that's the real downfall to i think being too heavily influenced mm-hmm. by other stuff like you have these works that come out that are the first to do it and it seemed so original the first time around like scream for instance like the yeah. slasher film Wes craven um, broke the genre <laughs> and just started making fun of it after he yeah fucking... <laughs> but but then you have people that are like legitimately following like the formula of the mm-hmm. slasher film so you have like all these jason movies and all these yeah. halloween movies and it's like the originals are like good but then it's just like one after another after mm-hmm. another and then The formula isn't interesting anymore. Well, it's the issue a lot of people have. uh, We mentioned them earlier in the show um, with Martin Scorsese. It's like, oh, let me guess. We're going to have Robert De Niro. He's going to hang out with Joe Pesci. (laughs) Joe Pesci's going to get shot in the back of the head. Uh, Ray Liotta's definitely showing up. Like He uses his best friends in every film, and they're all gangster movies about, man, I just really want to get out of the mafia. Adam Sandler <laughs> has all his friends vacation somewhere with yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> and somebody's going to scream, cut his fucking head off. And <laughs> yeah, and like I think to me that was the most disappointing thing about this movie. Like This movie was really well done and the storyline followed Mm. nicely i think it was bold to kill off so many of the main characters who were likable characters like they killed off the bully first that's my only issue with it is they're trying to give this overall redemption arc to the ghost but she's killing indiscriminately Mm -hmm. at first she's killing to protect and i got that and then she starts killing her parallels friends and it's like what are we doing here well they they make a point to say that she's just full of rage and like i like i'm okay with that because like i feel like a lot of these like ghost type stories like that's Mm -hmm. true like literally anyone is fair game because it's a pissed off ghost basically yeah. it's just a spirit I ain't scared of no ghosts <laughs> it's a spirit that's stuck here that's full of rage um so i thought it was bold of them i did not expect um literally both of her friends to get killed off of course they were going to save the love interest because mm. you have to um per cliches <laughs> but i i hated against cliches he's a minority he's the only one that survived <laughs> true um i hate though that it felt like i was watching a movie i'd seen already like i was really intrigued by when they were at the hospital and they're listening to the phonogram of her at the doctor like we hear the electroshock therapy Mm -hmm. and it seems really torturous and awful and then she's like i'll tell you what you want to hear and we think she's gonna like tell her brother who's torturing her yeah what he wants and she starts reading the story of how the next kid dies and i thought that was super cool Mm mm-hmm um because yeah most of the time it's just we're doing research at the hospital and oh my god we've made a revelation and we have to go and yeah, instead it was to like run off and it's like no welcome to the situation now yeah you're and about I, to meet the pale girl <laughs> i thought that was pretty cool but it's still a bit reminiscent of the ring to me because you have that scene where she's doing the research and she plucks the fly off of the screen and mm-hmm. brings a portion of the past into the real world so we have that moment with Sarah from the past coming into the present. And I'm like, yeah. I feel like I've seen this movie. That's interesting. I didn't even, I mean, I caught the ring parallel after you brought it up while we were watching it. But I, I didn't think anything like that. I was upset with the the more tropey, cliche shit. Like, now we've got spiders. And now we've got, you know, like the boogeyman. And, and the <laughs> shadows on the wall constantly to represent yeah. her being there. 
Exactly. Like these these very basic things. Or the screaming before she vanishes. <laughs> That's vanishes. unnecessary. <laughs> I thought you were done with rage. What happens? <laughs> but it hit you with shit that was new, mm-hmm. like throughout the entirety of it. I did like the book writing itself while she was trying to tear the pages out and it yeah. kept writing on the next page. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's stop motion. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time they smeared the blood with the finger was neat. Didn't need to do whatever again. Didn't need to do it Once again. you've introduced a trick, leave it. Just let it sit there. You don't need it ever again. It, it It's a like keystone of a traditional two star. Is I've never seen that. And then I'm going to show you five more times that we're still doing that. And it's like, no, I just, I want to be able to tell my friends, you're not going to believe the scene where the finger goes through the ink. Like, oh, the three other scenes too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you don't have that with, say, the exorcist, (laughs) you know, like her head spins around once. And that's why that scene is fucking phenomenal. You and I could figure out by the end of today how to spin my head around for the camera. Mm -hmm. It's probably not that, you know. It's not that difficult with all the technology we have available to us today. Um, they didn't do that three times. They had that skill. You know, they could have done it five times and it would have ruined the goddamn movie. So if you have a practical effect that fucking works, get it on camera once and then leave it. And I wonder what the problem with that is. Is it the filmmakers, and not specifically this film, just in general, are the filmmakers like, this is so cool, we got to do it again? Or... Is Is it it, a, I think it's an editing bay issue. I think it's probably Del Toro going, I want the ink stain scene. And then they shoot it twice and it feels like some sort of goddamn revelation. I don't, I don't think it'd be an editing issue because the director's usually in with the editing. So the director mm-hmm. usually sees the cut. But like I, like I feel like sometimes in scary movies they treat the audience a bit like they're stupid like, yeah it's like, like they're not paying attention yeah it's a genre where i think the expectation is that the audience aren't um cinephiles you know like the mm-hmm. audience are kind of just like oh duh i'm here watching a movie that's so. the problem when i was born because <laughs> i'm here to break your shit <laughs> <laughs> so yeah then it's like oh yeah we gotta remind them fresh blood you know yeah. so i like i don't know like I know I've been guilty of that myself. I guess been like, that's cool. Let's do that again. Yeah. And not necessarily the same movie. I'll be like, I'm gonna do it again in my next movie. But like, I don't know. Like, well, you... then it becomes signature, and it's okay. It's like Tarantino and the N word. Like, <laughs> you know he's gonna do it. You don't know when it's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I should have gone Tarantino and feet. That would have made more yeah. sense. <laughs> I, I I just wish there was a bit more innovation. I guess sometimes in the genre than there. Um, is then let's do it but what you need is more women filmmakers i, I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> especially in the horror genre it's very male heavy and so like so you got all the big the, bouncing tits yeah, in every movie yeah you got big bouncing tits you're gonna forever make movies for fucking 15 year olds you know like they didn't sexualize any of the women in this movie though yeah i mean granted they were children so that'd be weird well they had the one well, the they didn't spider like, face chick. They didn't like sexualize her though. She was like the preppy high school girl. Yeah. Like they didn't like. They would have if it was R. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that, that that's a really good point, and I think especially in the horror genre, we need more females um, because men, as a dude, I feel comfortable saying this. I can walk into most locations and feel pretty secure that I can get out of that room alive. <laughs> women can't get into a heated argument with questionable people that are in their lives uh, without the threat of uh, getting beaten to death by men. So there need to be more women in the genre. You guys have more things that you are concerned about or are fearful about in 2021. Men have valid things that they're afraid of. For sure, I'm not taking anything away from an entire gender. I'm giving my opinion on the other one, which is I think you guys need to come on over, get away from the the romantic fucking the bullshit. Join us in the realm of trauma. We've gone, we've gone through the Me Too movement. There's no reason why we can't have more women in the fucking genre. And I promise you that uh, most of my horror friends are the kindest, gentlest people that you'll ever fucking meet. But don't fuck with us. <laughs> I we've hit all my points. Uh, closing thoughts on the movie. 
Oh, I, I, I loved it. I think it was great. If I was a child, uh, it would probably be one of those, like, it'll stand the test of time. I'll watch it to remember what it felt like. Movies like, um, like My Bloody Valentine, you know, 3D that I saw in the theater, you know, <laughs> it would stand as one of those, like, you guys remember that one time where, like, I got my girlfriend and you got your girlfriend, we all got popcorn, you know, <laughs> and it would have been a beautiful introduction into the genre, so if you've got a child out there that, you know, is in that pre-teen to early teen year, and you're trying to get them to understand horror, I think it would be a great film to open up with, and then buy them the books and traumatize your five-year-old. Well, I think that's my hope, though. Um, yeah, we traumatized five-year-olds. No, because um, they're in talks of making a sequel, you know, obviously with COVID and everything, that might kind of get delayed. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like our childhood years were full of a lot of really cool series in general. Like, I grew up on um, Goosebumps. I read the series of Unfortunate Events as I was growing Harry up. Harry Potter Harry came Potter. up. <laughs> um, that came out well before I was a child, but I read the Lord of the Rings series. There were like a lot of really cool series of books that then got translated into either shows or movies yeah. or whatever. Goosebumps, there was a TV show and the When book we series. were kids, Stephen King's shit was getting turned into shit. Yeah. I'm like, I do feel like, um, I, I think with the advent of social media and TikTok and like stuff mm -hmm. like that, kids are like much more stimulated by their phones and stuff and i do feel like there has been a bit of a drop off which i'm not i'm not a kid in school so i mean i'm sure they still have like reading you're programs. about to be <laughs> like Master's a little kid you I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they still have like um reading programs where you have to meet a certain yeah accelerated reader yeah um i'm sure that stuff still exists but like i do feel like there has been a bit of a drop off in like continued interest in mm -hmm. stuff so like I, I think it'd be nice to see kind of a resurgence of that like maybe this movie would make a kid be like oh i kind of want to go read the book or whatever because mm -hmm. i remember as a kid like when i was reading goosebumps or the series of unfortunate events or whatever you'd like get caught off uh, all the way up to you know the most recent book and you'd be like oh when's he gonna put out the next one i was reading the green one the one about the reptile room um and I, we had two Rottweilers, and one of them was very, very young, and the, her name was Rosie. And I was like halfway through the she, reptile room, and she ate the reptile room. And I remember coming home from school, the only thing I wanted to do, because I could read those in one setting, you know, the only thing I wanted to do was figure out how the reptile room ended. Came home, found out the dog ate it. Mom came home. I was distraught. I'm <laughs> fucking going to pieces. Baby and she took me to Barnes and Noble to get another copy. And I was so fucking happy that day. Because like, I went from like way too old to be having this level of a temper tantrum to I've got a new copy. And I can just open up page, you know, fucking 149 or whatever. <laughs> I had, like, the Lemony Snicket, like, the undercover journal or some shit was what it was called. But it was, like, him in his pseudonym, like, chasing the, the, bad the guys. fucking bad guy. The bad yeah. guys group was called. It was basically Illuminati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I... I Very mean, similar, yeah. I hope that, um... Like, I... I I thought this was a well-done movie. Like I said, I'd give it in the 70s. Um, not my favorite movie that's ever existed mm -hmm. by any means, and not a movie geared towards people in our age group, really. A shitload better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but I I don't know. I hope maybe when things go back to normal and kids are back in school and libraries are back open and stuff, like we kind of see like a rebirth of like these like series that kind of captivate kids' imagination again. Because it's terrifying to me that we're going to see a dramatic drop off in interest in the arts because social media and like this vanity and stuff has become so prevalent. Like I'm Can we definitely jot that down as a concept that we can talk about at the end of the week? Because I have an opposite feeling. I feel because of the lockdown, kids are saturated in story again. And what is that going to do? <laughs> it's like like 15 years down the line, you know, like when the 15 year olds are 30, you know, when they're doing our shit and they've been exposed to Netflix for a year, <laughs> you know, just taking in source material. And it might not be all of them because of TikTok and, you know, Instagram. the likes. Instagram, that's definitely going to catch 75% of the pool. But your 
people that were going to be the writers and the directors and the painters and the musicians have not had distraction. Their parents have been <laughs> too busy trying to keep them alive to really be involved. And they've just been saturated in this art. I think it might be really good in a really fucked we'll up have to way. Wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to go eat some wings, my love? I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Ben. I love you. And I love you guys. And once again, if you guys would like to send us an email, please do. I'm waiting to hear from you. I'm about to become a Dogecoin millionaire. And that is... <laughs> Hit me up for money. Hit me up.